0: Sean, what
1: happens when uh, the pilot deflates?
0: What happened is now it sounds like you're talking to me from the other side of the moon. It's like getting a not that getting the delay you know? and <laughs> everything. Well, you know, try again, try again. You know, we're just fighting like a blind spot, I guess. That's so, right. what happened when?
1: <laughs> what happens when the pilot deflates?
0: Oh <laughs> I don't know. That's a question the people that are watching the video probably can kind of like figure out right now. And the people listening to the podcast are like, what the hell is Sean talking about? Uh well, reason and- is that yeah, we are on we are on airplane on the set of the yeah. movie Airplane, if you remember that. One of the classics that I can't pass out. You know, whenever I saw it, I have to watch it. I don't know why. Maybe being a yeah, being a kid of the '80s, you have to, you have to. It's, uh, it's the rule, it's the law. Exactly. But uh, no, Sean, the answer, this the, is...
1: the answer to the riddle. You want it? Yeah. Technology takes over. Let the pilot deflate. Who cares? Everything's gonna fly itself. Ouch. Securely.
0: <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. I don't know. Maybe the guest wants to <laughs> wants to say something about this right away we feel free yeah, to I'm jump in feel free to jump in on this
2: <laughs> so what what why the heck do i have otto the autopilot sat behind me well first of all like you i'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, airplane the movie too um, but also i'm a pilot myself and uh, when we started looking at uh, airplane cyber um, i found a custom otto and i had to have him mostly to get some gags but do you know what People turn up to see us at uh, trade booths. And everyone just wants a photograph with the autopilot, right?
0: <laughs> Why not? Exactly. Exactly. He's a big character. It's kind of like, okay. you know, like sometimes you have those, uh, those TV shows. I'll bring an example, like The Mandalorian. I don't know if you're a fan of that, but it became all about Baby Yoda, Grogu, right? But it wasn't the plan. It's just like he took over. I think like Otto did the same thing on <laughs> On I'm playing, people, people love him. They know who he is. But maybe they don't remember the actors. I, I don't know.
2: So I have to confess, he does have a, a little air leak. And uh, <laughs> the uh, the team that manufactured him, of course, put the top-up valves in the right place.
0: Oh, yeah. god <laughs>
2: so, so it does lead to some awkward moments when you find him, um, I don't know, getting a little floppy. <laughs> have to spend oh, a private moment reinflating him. He's
1: uh, Hollywood-approved uh, Construction <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> Follow, follows the set. Well, listen, folks are listening and watching. They can see your name on the screen, not your last name, though. And those only listening have no idea who you are, perhaps, unless they can recognize your voice, which I'm impressed that they can do that. But uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on again, Ken Monroe from Pentest Partners. Uh, we met you many years ago at Black Hat's uh, in in CON, I guess, more, more appropriately in, uh, in Las Vegas and have paid attention to what you're doing with, with your own work and with that of the aerospace village and, uh, thrilled to have you on the show today. Uh, Maybe a few words for our audience who haven't connected with you yet, Ken, uh, who you are, what you're up to, why the world of, of cyber, you kind of touched on a little bit, but, but cyber and aerospace.
2: Yeah, for sure. So this, this is kind of a COVID story, actually. Uh, one of, one of the, the awful things that happened to the aviation industry during the COVID lockdowns is that a lot of airplanes got retired a lot, a lot sooner than people thought. Uh, a lot of the 747 fleet, for example, nearly the whole world over was retired, um, which, which meant that all the airplane scrapyards, the boneyards, they got backed up. You know, airplanes have value. The bits have got value. And um, that, uh, that June, July of, of the first COVID lockdown, we, we rang. Um, a boneyard and said hey what's going on and they said well we've got several years work lined up to take these airplanes apart so we said well what happens to them in the meantime And they said nothing I said look if we if we gave you some some money can we power them up and learn about the cybersecurity of airplanes like yep Come and knock yourselves out. So um, put some fuel in there, started the APU, got some ground power on, and airplanes that were perfectly serviceable in late March of 2020 were powered up, and we got to have a crack at them. And we learned a shed load about airplane cyber.
1: That's uh, that's an incredible story. I I had no idea that that was going on. Now, were these, uh, not that it really matters, but were these boneyards in uh,
2: the UK or yeah in america yeah, we have a few I, th- I think we've got three or four locations where where airplanes get parted out over here and it's it's fascinating talking to the Boneyards themselves because like you probably know most airplanes are are owned by finance companies and there is, there is a spreadsheet for each airplane where the current cost of all the parts used is is added up and as soon as the cost of the parts exceeds the cost of the airframe it gets it gets parted out it gets broken up so uh, it it's incredible but yeah just headed down to a boneyard and um got our hands dirty literally um yeah
0: so so here here I have a question right so you you're talking about you you're going and do autopsy on, on a body that is already you know is not alive anymore and I'm I'm going a little morbid here but you know the picture that I I'm thinking is if they're ready to retire they are in a you know in a yard where they don't fly anymore aren't they already old, aren't we talking about how, how are you doing cybersecurity research on the new technology? Because yeah. I'm guessing I would say, well, that's the way they used to do it. How about now? So yeah. tell, me tell, tell me about so, that.
2: That's, that's a massive challenge, actually. So the biggest problem is you can't go and pen test an airplane. It doesn't work. You don't get permission, quite rightly so. And also, it's, airplane software is certified. Obviously, it has to be super safe and just turning up and throwing some scans at an airplane, you you could risk the safety of that airplane. So we have to work on airplanes that have been retired. But you know, an airplane that's 10 years old, there's still a lot of them flying around. So something that's 10 years old is still not quite state of the art, but it's still very, very current. Uh, You probably know that, that the first Airbus A380s are being parted out right now. Um, lots of seven forty sevens. I think I think the newest seven forty seven we worked on has been twenty seven years old, but we worked on a, a, an A three twenty and a Boeing seven three seven that were just over ten years old. So, yeah, it's they're old, but lots of those airplanes are still flying with exactly the same components in them. So I think it's still valuable research. I love to get hold of some brand new equipment, mm. but yeah, just going out <laughs> and buying a brand new seven thirty seven is kind of not not in our budget, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: and actually, yeah, I have another I question,
2: candidate.
0: Sean. If you don't mind, I mean, because okay. I have okay. a personal experience here, which is when I, I, I got lucky to get to see the, the Armstrong Flight Center here in uh, in LA, in Pasadena, and uh, they were about to take off with the DC 10 that they were just uh, telling me that it was 50 years old, but they transformed it into. It's a, it's a lab. It's a weather lab. They were flying to Hawaii to check out storms and stuff like that. And I was like, "Wow, you you trust this plane for that? It's fifty years old." It's like, "Yeah, well, it's really and nothing is really fifty years old on this one because you constantly update it." So, is that part of the trick? Why you know all these airplanes they keep flying, and why it's more relevant, still relevant to to look into retired airplane?
2: So I, I can think of a 747 we were looking at that uh, was last flying in the middle of March 2020. We got access to it about a year after it was retired. But even then, some of the components, so some of the avionics were almost brand new because they've been replaced. So you know, airplanes get upgraded, they get fixed, they get latest systems applied, often a bit piecemeal. Yeah, So this bit fails, so they get a new one of those because it's expensive to refit an airplane. But yeah, you're right. so you you do see really old airplanes um, flying with some quite current equipment in them. And not too
1: deep, but uh, talk to us a little bit about the well, I'll call it the infrastructure, <laughs> the the ecosystem yeah. of these components because uh, you're talking about some of them being updated, some of them being old. but in between it are the networks and the protocols and 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 the actual traffic and then obviously the data itself. And I presume that there's a lot of common wisdom that you can gain regardless of what version a component is, right? So maybe what are some of the components and how does that picture look to you?
2: Yeah, so there were three broad types of network on an airplane. So the bit up front that does, you know, the pilots interact with, that does the flight controls, it's called the aircraft control domain. And that is a super safe, super secure part of the airplane. It's not really linked to anything else. Um, Whilst you can get a feed of your airspeed for your in-flight entertainment system so you know where you are, there's actually a one-way data diode um, between the dirty bit of the plane back where we sit uh, and the pilots where it's super safe up front. Now there there are broadly three types of networks. So most Airplanes use a a protocol, a network protocol called ARINC-429, which isn't really a network as such. It's more of a a, a lot of point-to-point wiring. So you've got a lot of of pins coming out of the various avionics, and they'll have a path where they go to another avionic or into the cockpit. But that means you get a lot of weight of wires, right? Um, It's been around for a long time. Uh, It's used on most airplanes that you go on. There is another protocol that's called ARINC 629. That's used almost exclusively by the Boeing 777. That was an evolution. It was it's, a, it's an inductively coupled bus network. And that was a big step forward to try and reduce the weight of cabling. But it, it kind of didn't go any further than the 777. And, and now we have in the Airbus A380, the Boeing 787, we have a, a network that's probably more familiar to the ones that you and I are familiar with, uh, which is called uh, AFDX. And that's actually an Ethernet based network. Uh, doesn't use IP as such, but it does use Ethernet. But it'd be much more familiar to us all um, as regular ground-based network engineers. So, yeah, there are there are some very distinct network types on planes, depending on what type of airplane you're flying and how old it is to a point too.
1: And then the, the network connects to. So you talked about the avionics, which are, I would imagine, the hubs that. That kind of shift and the switches in, in uh, an IT yeah. world perhaps yeah. and then there are endpoints um, engines and sensors on the engines and yeah. and uh, maybe an overview of that to kind of paint a picture for folks. yeah so
2: there's a lot of information coming to and from um, there's a lot of cabling a little wiring if you go into the avionics bay of a any current airplane it is absolutely round full of big, heavy, expensive boxes, each one of which has got a particular function, like the airspeed computer or uh, on the flight control computers. Each one's got a really heavy, expensive box. They're called line-replaceable units. Each one weighs 20, 30 kilograms. And they're called line-replaceable because it means that if something goes wrong, the engineer on the ground can come along with a new one, pull it out, put the, new, put the new one back in, and you're flying again straight away. And then they're sent off to be repaired. So you're not delaying the airplane because something's gone wrong. Um, they all communicate. They all inter- operate. They all have some pretty robust uh, networks on them uh, to make sure that when the pilot says, go down, the airplane goes down, right? Now, of course, that's what everyone speculated about for years um, was, can I hack the airplane from my seat back in the cabin? All right. That's what everyone hmm. wants to know, right? Yeah,
0: let's talk about that. I don't know. Yeah. This is actually the topic of yeah. what you're presenting at RSA. So,
2: yeah. yeah that's simple answer. No, you can't. No. So no. end up
0: the podcast. No. <laughs> yeah.
2: But why? that would be a very boring me, podcast, tell right?
0: <laughs> tell, me, tell, tell me why. Tell me why.
2: Okay. So first of all, so those networks are, are very carefully segregated. So back in the cabin, it's called the Passenger Information Entertainment Services domain. It's really long, but it's the dirty bit where we sit and we watch movies. We can stream from the internet. We, we can send our emails. It's dirty. It, it's 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 um, it's not considered trustworthy at all by the airplane manufacturers or operators. Right, that that's for us to do whatever we want to do on our tablets and our laptops. It doesn't connect into the safety systems. Right, it is it's basically isolated. There is often some interfacing into the sort of the halfway house, um, which is some uh, some of the systems the cabin crew can use. So, for example. Um, on a 747 there was a little uh, cupboard under the stairs where there's a cabin management terminal where the the, the the chief crew member in the cabin can send ground messages and stuff um, and often more modern planes will see a flight attendance panel and one of those will be more featured but even that it still doesn't really talk to the the, uh, the safety systems on the plane so there's a there's a very distinct separation and and quite rightly so i think we'd all be quite concerned if we could sit there instead of watching a movie go hey let's let's control the plane right
0: (laughs) i know maybe maybe people sometimes they think they can because they show you like the camera in front of the plane or from the tail or the and then like oh wow i'm really actually getting into the action here but it's it's just a It's a Hollywood thing, right? So Um, is there a way to hack a plane, though?
2: Yeah, So, there have been a bunch of media stories over the years about about the concept of doing this. And there's been some really interesting work done, but it still doesn't, to my mind, um, uh, make an airplane hackable from the passenger cabin. Mm. If you're going to do something to affect an airplane, you you need to be in a a position of physical trust, OK? So yeah, so there's cabling that runs through the cabin walls and the overheads and stuff. If you were extremely skilled and had all the right equipment and could get into the overhead space or the walls without anybody noticing, kind of maybe, but I just don't see that as a practical attack. I suppose if you were a rogue ground engineer and you had access to the avionics bay, you could cause some problems. But really, the airplane would probably throw some errors, and the pilots wouldn't want to take off. So to all intents and purposes, you, you just don't hack an airplane from the passenger cabin. It's not how it works. But over the last few years, we've spent quite a bit of time looking at the systems that feed information to the pilots. Mm. Now, the point you made that you raised at the very beginning, you know, we don't need pilots, right? You know, we, they can, planes can fly themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they can. They can fly themselves. Until- it's when stuff goes wrong, is you really, really want someone up front who's got a vested interest in that airplane landing again, right? That's why I, I personally really don't like the idea of an autonomous plane because when there's pilots up front, there's someone whose vested interest is absolutely <laughs> getting me on the ground safety. Um, I should say, I'm actually an airplane pilot myself. I, I fly light aircraft. Um, it's it's one of my passions. So actually bringing cyber and flying together has been a, a wonderful um, uh, intersection for me. So can you hack a plane? <laughs>
0: you, you don't, you don't want to hear that the speaker coming up and say, um, "I'm thinking airplane again. Like, is there anyone on this thing that knows how to land the plane? You wow. don't want to hear that, right? You know, you really <laughs> don't want to hear that. And
2: actually, it, yeah, could a light aircraft pilot with with minimal training land a large passenger ship? Probably not. Mm. Um, understanding how the systems works takes a, a lot of learning. Once you understand the systems, yes, it's not too. It's not actually too difficult." Mm-hmm. Um, you could set up for a, an auto land. Take a bit of work, but once you understand the systems, it's doable. Just arriving up front, having piloted a small propeller plane, no chance. <laughs> Absolutely no chance. <laughs> you know, it's just going to go wrong. Sadly.
1: So let, let me ask you this, Ken. This this may be a bit philosophical, but so currently the the pilot pilots, as you pointed out, have a vested interest in that plane, unless, unless they're kind of wacky and and they don't give a crap and they want to go down anyway. But so if we take them off, off the plane, there's now no vested interest from a human perspective. Do we, do we increase the risk for people flying on autonomous planes? I don't know. Do we, do we always need a person, even if they absolutely do nothing and never, ever, ever make a decision, but they're just there. For for insurance for for the passengers uh, to well, say that the so. company
2: has somebody on on the plane. Yeah, so yeah, you know, airplane autonomy is is perfectly possible already. Right, it, it it's been done. It can be done. What worries me though is it. Let, let's take a, a comparison with automotive. Right, yeah, you know, we can connect vehicles. And we do connect vehicles and there are security issues with those connected vehicles and we try to make them autonomous and they don't always do so well. And every time the next level of autopilot comes up, people take videos of cars doing silly things, right? If we can't get cars right, how do we expect to get airplanes right? So we're already connecting airplanes and I'll talk through that in a a little bit. How sure are we, at least when we've got a pilot up front and it all goes wrong? that pilot can put us back on the ground even with almost all the instruments shot to pieces because they aren't working the pilot can still get us down in almost every case and i i I have great comfort in that as do i (laughs) I. so
1: so we've talked a bit about being on board and so there there are two two or three separate networks and you kind of have to have physical access But you're you're talking maybe you're going to go there anyway but being connected so there's yeah. Air-to-ground, ground-to-air, air-to-air, uh, air. I don't know if plane-to-plane plane or plane to satellites. Um, what, what? And Obviously, we're talking about Aerospace Village here as well. It's, it, that's a full ecosystem that's not just one plane, right? It's a whole air traffic control and all kinds of fun stuff.
2: Yeah, so that, that's where things start to get interesting for us, is we actually hired a couple of pilots who'd been laid off during COVID. So not only did we see planes laid off, obviously pilots were having a hard time too. And whilst we know how airplanes fly, we know how flying's done, we know how navigational systems work. What we weren't fully familiar with was how, what we call the standard operating procedures in major airlines. We didn't understand them fully because we don't drive big airplanes every day. We don't know how, how, how they're used, how they operate, how they're interfaced. And one of the big things that we learned all about was the concept of an electronic flight bag. Now, you probably remember back in the day, you'd see a pilot walking around the airport to an airplane with a great big black briefcase, right? And that briefcase contained all the charts or maps, it, it contained all the what we call approach plates, so how to fly the approach, um, the ground maps of, of the airport, so you know how to get there, and lots and lots of other things like weights and balance, maintenance logs, all these, these important things, and they're heavy. And... All those navigational um, maps and things, they get out of date every 30 days because something changes somewhere around the world. So they have to keep getting new ones on paper. So airlines, for very good reasons of efficiency and also weight, started introducing um, tablets instead. So all those heavy um, paperbacks and and navigational almanacs have been replaced by a tablet. And of course, that brought in a whole new set of interesting security issues for us. And that's where we have spent the last couple of years really digging deep. Now, <laughs> this is a bit yeah. where things get a bit freaky. So I said, you can't hack a plane, right? Well, you can't, but you can influence what the pilots do potentially. And mm. you can feed them data that might lead them to do the wrong things. And a great example of one of the most important apps on a flight bag is called perf or performance. Now, when you're sat at the end of the runway just about to take off, um, you might be surprised to know that pilots very rarely use full power. They don't use full thrust because it's expensive in terms of fuel. It pumps out a lot of carbon dioxide and it makes a lot of noise and it wears the engine. So you use the right amount of power for the runway you've got. So let's say your your airplane's light, you haven't got a full passenger load, the wind's down the runway, Uh, you're fairly low at sea level, and the runway's nice and long. You might use nearly 50% of the available power because you don't need it, right? So airplane trundles off, goes safely into the sky. But if you are high at a high airport on a hot day with a full load of people and a relatively short runway, you might be absolutely caning the engines, but you don't do it very often. And the way that the pilots work out how much power to use is called a performance calculation. And they'll take in lots of data, like the wind, the runway, the weight. There's, there's 15 or 20 different things um, that, that you'll, you'll pump into a calculator that'll say, well, on this particular airplane, on this particular day, you're gonna use 87% power. And then you, off you go, everyone's happy. What we've discovered are security problems with those tablets and those apps that allow you to tamper with the calculator. So what happens is the pilots do their calculations, they get tampered data, and then get the wrong amount of thrust and pile off down the runway. And once you're past V1, you can't stop. You then get to VR, the rotation speed, but then you realize you don't have enough speed. So you try to rotate anyway. And instead of flying away, what instead happens is actually the pilot smacks the backside out of the airplane, and that can do a lot of damage. Um, there was a case relatively recently where they um, bust the pressure hull, so they got to altitude, realized they couldn't pressurize, had to come back. And there is one very sad case where a pilot made a mistake and actually an airplane went off the end of the runway, um, killing everyone on board. Um, fortunately, I suppose it was a freighter, so the loss of life was comparatively small, but still horrible, whichever way you look at it. So uh, we've been I'm, finding. I'm driving back to New York from LA. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Well, look, let me give you some confidence. So yes, pilots make mistakes, right? But our our procedures are really good. They're really well drilled and, and pilots will spot these problems, right? So if something's not right, they know what to do. They know to fix it. But the problem is, is no airplane incident happens by itself. It starts from a cascade. And what we're seeing is these sort of influences by giving pilots wrong data has the potential to start a cascade at every point. Something goes wrong. Someone's distracted. Something else was wrong. And instead of taking off, the plane goes off the end of the runway. Or in the case of an approach, um, doesn't land on it properly.
0: Wow. No, it yeah. makes you think about a lot a lot of things, actually, even when you don't fly. You know, work remotely. All of a sudden, it's not just protecting the environment where you are at work, but protecting all the other point of access, and that's what you're talking about. Like, you know, yeah. it could be that. It could be – I'm thinking satellite data. that could be altered as well and, and and many other things. So, of course, we're here talking about our say conference uh, 2023. You're going to be there with our friends, of course, at the Aerospace Village. Uh, we still ready to talk with Steve. We're ready to talk with uh, a bunch of other um, people going to be there, a uh, company that are bringing their own uh, – their own things to to entertain and educate and teach to the people coming to the village. So tell us, what um, what are you going to talk about there?
2: Okay. What so are this, you this doing
0: at RSA? Conference?
2: So one of the problems we have is all these interesting vulnerabilities we find, which basically mislead the pilots. We can't do these for real on a real airplane because you run the risk of causing a crash, which is kind of not what we're about, right? We're about <laughs> making things safer. So we went out and had some custom flight simulators built which allow us to recreate all of these vulnerabilities in a, in a real-world environment that's safe. So we've taken this with pilots, we've, we've fed them the incorrect data as a result of the, the hacks, and then see what they do in a, in a, a very realistic simulator and on each occasion. They've either gone off the the runway or realized there's a problem, rotated too early, added some extra power, and potentially had what we call a tail strike. So the great thing that we can do is we can bring these simulators to RSA, and we can let people experience them and fly the planes themselves. So most people actually just want to land one, but uh, the the real exercise is is actually we, we take them through landing or taking off in a plane that's been tampered with. So they can see and experience how it actually feels. So see what a pilot has to experience themselves. So come and land our flight simulator. See if you can do it. See if you can put it on the runway. I'm there. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun.
0: <laughs> I'm actually, I'm, I'm reading. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, NASA history and I'm reading Apollo 8 now. But I, I read other before. But the, actually, last night I was listening because I listened to the book about all the stuff that they used to throw at them. Both of the control center and the, all the simulation because obviously if you can't tamper with a plane you, even less you want to tamper with a you know with, with the saturn 5 or any other like you know big big thing the, the lamb or anything and they were just talking about that how it's a constant pre-flight for months and months of turning this off and screw around with something and how did the pilot react how did the command center react and I think that now, thinking that was 68, 1968, 67 or even earlier than that, and I, the possibility now, it's incredible. What you can do with virtual reality, what you can do with simulation, I'm assuming it's uh, it's incredible. Yeah.
2: So there's a really interesting point you raised there, it's about is about simulation and, and testing. And one of the things that I think the aviation industry needs held up on a pedestal for is the fact that when something goes wrong, they share it. So when there's a problem on any airplane, any pilot incident, as long as the pilot flags it up voluntarily, there's no consequence for what they've done. So it means that every issue can be investigated to find out what went wrong. Yet people have bad days, but it's usually something else that precipitated that. They were overworked. They were too tired. Their transfer didn't turn up. Something went wrong on the airplane. Some information was wrong. And what I love about the airplane industry, aviation is wonderful because they share everything publicly there's no blame attributed. And I think we could learn a lot about that in the cyber industry on the ground. What if we could share information about breaches without fear of retribution? What if someone's breached and immediately shares all the um, IOCs so everyone else can be there to defend and look for it? So yeah, someone has an issue, but everyone else learns from it really, really quickly. And I think that aviation industry is amazing because of it.
1: Yeah, I love that. And and Talking about learning, one of the big things uh, about the Aerospace Village, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is the, the ability for somebody who knows nothing and somebody who knows a lot about something else to come in and say, here's what I know about my space. Let me see how I can apply that to aerospace. Or I want to break into the world of cybersecurity, and aerospace is a passion of mine. Here's a great way to, to make that entry. Talk to me about the, the team that you're bringing together yourself and how you kind of help the community grow and, and share again, share information with each other uh, to help move things forward specifically yeah, so around the Aerospace Village.
2: We love giving back. Right? Our view is, is just keep paying it forward because anything that we've learned, it might stimulate someone to, someone else to learn something cool. I remember the very first time we got the Village together at DEFCON 20... 28? 27? 27, 27, crikey. And it was great. We took along, some, took along some things that we had, some stuff we bought from eBay, some bits and pieces we had. We, st- we were learning about them. And then what I loved is that people would rock up and said, hey, I used to ma- manufacture those when I was an apprentice back 20 years back. And they'd be telling us things about the technology that we had. So we were learning, too. So it, it's, it's really key for us. We just want to keep that two-way exchange. It's also really cool that um, industry is engaged as well. And that's a really nice feature of the village is I think the aviation industry were a little bit unsure of security researchers. There have been some kind of unhelpful media stories. And I think that kind of spooked the industry a bit. Security researchers know we don't talk to them. But actually what the village has done is it's broken down those boundaries. And now it's wonderful to see Boeing and other large organizations getting involved and getting involved in the village and helping support. To the point where at RSA this year, um, we're doing a joint panel with Boeing, United, uh, the Air Aviation ISAC and ourselves. And you could not have seen that happen in 2019. And look how far the industry's come in something as simple as four years with some help from the village as well.
1: Super cool. And so you mentioned those devices. Are you- you have the simulator or simulators. What other things can people get their hands on besides Uh, auto? Yeah. Don't get your (laughs) hands on auto. No, no. (laughs) No,
2: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so we've got the simulator. We'll also be bringing along some some LRUs, some line replaceable units, so people can get their hands on some of the physical hardware that you find in airplanes, the places you can't ever go because they're down in the avionics bays under, under, under the floor. Uh, we'll bring some of those along so you can see what they do and how they work and take them apart. Yeah, they're quite old, but you know, trying to buy new new kit is frighteningly expensive. So we've got some kit, and hopefully we'll have some little CTFs for people to play with that we've written, so you can see how some of the aviation technology in the passenger cabin works as well.
0: That's Thanks. really cool. And you have two two talks, right?
2: Yeah, we yeah we've got some talks. So um, the talk we're giving at Boeing and United, the panel is is all about how. Both Boeing, United, and ourselves and others have engaged with the security research community. Instead of being you know, scary individuals who hack planes, right? Actually, no. We, when, when we find vulnerabilities, we go and talk to the manufacturers about them. Um, it's quite interesting. In in aviation, um, it takes a long time to fix bugs. Now, if you know you found a bug in a, in a consumer router or whatever, you, you'd probably expect to give the vendor 90 days to fix it, right? That's what Google Project Zero do. It's a reasonable timeline to get a bug fixed. In aviation, it takes two years. Now, it's not because they don't want to do it quickly, it's because it might take a week to fix the bug. It takes nearly two years to recertify the software to make sure it's safe. So that's a really interesting understanding that um, I think a lot of researchers hadn't, hadn't got, got clued into. Is that, yeah, you find something, but it's gonna take a long time to get it fixed for reasons of safety. So I think there were some researchers got really excited about the fact you know they found these bugs they weren't being fixed, the manufacturers being slack they weren't it just takes time to get recertified.
0: Understandable, understandable. Big machines, a lot of a uh, lot of stuff going on, and you want to do it right, yeah. So um, I'm excited. I I remember when we met you back in a CON and making a. You know, thinking about what you said about involving the, the manufacturer, involve, involving the legislator. I, I remember Sean and I were there when actually they were walking a bunch of people from Washington <laughs> through the old, uh, you know, the car hacking village and the, the aerospace village, which at the time, I think it was the aviation village, still call that. And so it's exciting. I think big steps. I I'm excited to be there. Uh, I, I want to invite, and that's why we do all this pre-event conversations so that we can, you know, make people interested in what you guys are doing there, and be like, hey, I'm there for to work with the company, to meet uh, the people at the expo. But you know, this this sounds something I want to put my hands on. So we invite everybody to to come and visit you guys and get to chat. And again. An incredible team of people. We were lucky to know most of you and uh, always available to share, always available to introduce the topic to people that don't really know much about it. And uh, Sean, it's going to be obviously during RSA conference, <laughs> April 24th to the 27th, San yep. Francisco at the Moscone Center. And that's where the Aerospace Village is going to be.
1: Yeah, we will be. There, I think uh, we're planning to, to uh, work with Steve and the crew to uh, to capture some stuff from the floor, right from the sandbox, and uh, so we'll stay tuned for some of that. Uh, and hopefully, if you're listening, we'll get a chance to meet you meet you there as well. So, Ken, thanks for uh, giving us an overview. Um, super insightful. I'm, I'm not sure how we never got that before, but um, great great insights, and definitely makes me. Think and uh, hopefully our audience as well, so they can all come chat with you. Great stuff!
2: Look, thank you so much, and uh, please come and have a fly of our flight simulator and see if you can land a hack plane.
0: There you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna fly the paper the paper plane. I'm good probably better at that.
1: The, the Boeing paper plane, is, yes. Yes.
0: All right, everybody, um, all right. stay tuned, uh, yep. listen and watch all the other. Pre event, and of course, during the event, we have a lot going on as well. And subscribe, stay tuned, and uh, share with your friends, family, co worker, anybody.
1: Yeah, your dog, we'll
0: be your cat. Yeah, of course. Exactly.
1: We'll All right, to... thanks everybody. See you there.
0: Take care.